0: And we're back. Hey. Zach and Carl. It's been a month since yep. we have returned to uh, doing our weekly book report. So yes. it's time to get back on it.
1: We have a plethora to catch up on.
0: Yeah. So we're going to work on that a little bit today and uh, tell everyone what book we're.
1: Uh, today, like we've been reading is um, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. He is an author, long story short. He's basically living his life and making his story a lot more interesting because he felt like he didn't have one in the
0: beginning of the book. So So we are uh, jumping up to chapter 25 now. Yes. And uh tell me, what uh chapter 25 was okay to me, mm-hmm. but uh Well, I could jump right into chapter twenty six, unless you want to. If there was something that jumped out to you about twenty five, we finally went and met his dad.
1: Yeah, Um, uh, the real quick about this. Basically, in twenty five, he met a guy, uh, the author Donald, met a guy named Duncan, um, Duncan Campbell, and long story short, Duncan ended up giving Donald a twenty five thousand dollar check to start an organization to help better to help. Uh, kids, kids who didn't have um, parental guidance or whatnot, so I thought that was kind of awesome. And then, but for me, and so necessarily using kids in the sense I tailored to veterans, mm-hmm. just because they may imagine what you know what is doing for veterans in the general community. But yeah, so we'll kick off with twenty six.
0: What was interesting to me about all that was, he looked out the window, he saw some kids, and he realized that he'd kind of forgotten where he came from. Right, and he thought about the kids that were probably like he used to be. And then he wanted to do something about it. So he came up with this idea to mentor those kids. Mm -hmm. And then as he's telling, kind of like, it wasn't $25,000, but when I told one of my friends about the idea for Gallant Few, he slid a $100 bill across the table and said, here's your first donation, get going. Well, when somebody does that, that that kind of commits you into having to do something, right? And in his case, he got a lot of money because the guy was wealthy, but it it gave him meaning to his life Mm -hmm. instead of uh, struggling trying to figure out what his meaning was. Right. Okay. Chapter 26. This one
1: was... um, It was an interesting chapter. I thought it kind of... uh, I don't want to say diverted, but there is a lot into it. You could go from one thing... You know, bike riding to paddling to bike riding, and then he would talk about... uh, I believe it was a girlfriend in this chapter. It was the next chapter, excuse me. But um, nonetheless, I think it was a, a good... I don't know, good chapter, because he talks about when you paddle from the shore, he says everybody always goes fast when they leave the shore, and then all of a sudden when they're in the middle of it, they're like, this is taking forever, and it doesn't even feel like I'm making any progress, I don't see where I left, I don't see where I'm going, I don't see any um, reference points or anything like that, I'm just going, and kind of, I guess in a sense it's kind of a monotonous to uh, to the author whenever he's paddling. But eventually he gets to his objective, and then he kind of sees how fast it approaches. And yeah, but well, what
0: he said was that the reward at the end of your story is always less than you thought it was going to be. I was
1: just getting That's why I was turning my page here. Okay. I was just getting there. But yeah, uh, and I think that that is huge. I mean, even if you can...
0: Well, what does that mean? What, he, he says the, the point is not about the ending. The point is about the journey.
1: Right. And, oh my gosh, where is it? And so I'm sorry, I can't, I can't find it right here, but,
0: uh, you know, I like your book more.
1: I know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's in the, it's in this chapter. But yeah, I thought that was big. I mean, you put all this effort into something and it might be great, but then all of a sudden you get a little reward out of it, which tends to be the things, the, the life, I guess, in a sense. Um, Look at the bodybuilders. They work their butts off, and then they maybe for a year they work their butts off, and they get two, three, well, maybe ten pounds of muscle in a year time. When they put all that effort in, they get only this much. I don't know. I thought that's that was another analogy for me, and so, uh, but yeah, it was. We'll keep going with this chapter then.
0: Well, if you go to bottom of page 179, mm-hmm. it is 100 percent applicable straight to a veteran. He says. Yep. He says, uh, this is when most people give up on their stories. They come out of college wanting to change the world, wanting to get married, wanting to have kids, change the way people buy office supplies or whatever. Uh, you could say when a veteran is leaving the military, they have all these plans, and then they get in the middle and they discover the journey is way harder than they thought. They can't see the distant shore anymore, and they wonder if their paddling is moving them forward. None of the trees behind are getting smaller, and none of the trees are hit are getting bigger, so they take it out on their spouses, and they go looking for an easier story.
1: That's exactly what I wrote. That's leaving active duty or military in general. It's mm-hmm. exactly,
0: exactly right. Um, what else? He, he, um, he talks a lot about for his characters to develop, he has to put his characters through hell. That's what makes them change. Yep. And, and he keeps coming back to that common theme that it's the journey that you're going through that makes you the person that you are. And up on the top of page 181, uh, I can ignore that phone call on my watch. United Way of Tarrant County is calling. Maybe they're going to give us a bazillion dollars. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. now I ignored them, so uh, they're going to go on to somebody else. Um, where he says, "When something hard happens, do you have two choices in how to deal with it? It's kind of a trite little saying, mm-hmm. but you can get bitter or you can get better." Yep. And he says, "I chose to get better, and that made all the difference."
1: I. Um, that's something that I, I. Saw a pastor. I went my church. My, my church to go to. He said that one time about a year or two ago. Now that's kind of always stuck with me. Along with something I recently heard was to transition and transform. Uh, so when you, leave military, when you leave the military, transition from it and transform to a productive civilian. Or you can product, uh, produce a negative impact on mm-hmm. your local community. I thought that was kind of cool. Transition and transform.
0: Uh, let's go on to 27. Okay. The pain will bind us. What does that mean?
1: This was big. This, <laughs> this resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all those who have had a rough breakup and saw a bigger picture, I thought that maybe, I don't know, applied. But one part I did mention was um, uh, here at the, really at the end of 183 and beginning of 184, he uh, talks about these guys who were uh, kidnapped and taken pre- uh, captive in South America. And then he says, and there was love between them that was not a mush love, a mushy love or even a brotherly love. It was a love I can only imagine being melded in the kind of torment that is only understood by somebody else experiencing the same pain. They are bound by conflict, and sometimes, in our case, I felt that this referred to combat or just traumatized veterans, whether it was sexual trauma or something happened at home or something. Yeah, it
0: doesn't have to be combat or sexual trauma. The conflict is complete basic training. The conflict is doing, uh, becoming qualified in your MOS. The, The conflict is the obstacles that the military puts in front of you for you to become a Marine, for you to become a Ranger, whatever that certainly the other, the combat part of it is also conflict, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't only say if you had trauma like that, this is what, what they're saying here is he, what he's saying is they were bound by conflict and that, that is why the bond between veterans can be really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And it's also on the flip side of that. I had a conversation yesterday with a guy that he said you know, one of the uh, one of the veterans that screwed him over the most was one that was just like him, and he gave the guy money because he trusted he needed some help and the guy screwed him over, took mm-hmm. the money, and didn 't do what he said he was going to do with it so just because they're they 've been through that same conflict and because they 're a veteran doesn 't automatically make them a good person right but it it can and should make you uh, able to have a closer relationship, and that 's why veterans need to be connected with other veterans because they're they 're bound by conflict even if it 's mm-hmm. My conflict was in 1980, when when I joined the army in 1983, or and and when you joined the Marine Corps in the current millennium, uh, you know even even over that period of time, that conflict is still something that binds Definitely. you together.
1: Um, also, at the end of 184, mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Aaron who uh, ran a company um, who helped who guided them across the country on the bikes. There's a part of that he says, and to quote, he goes, I don't mean that to be offensive, but it's going to be harder than you thought, but you will make it. Just don't stop and stay together. You'll make it. And I think that ex- resonates exactly within the Gallon Few mission. You know, don't stop, we're here to help. We're here to help. Not only are we here to help, but you can help us as well. Don't stop, keep going. You know, put, the, put the bottle down, put the gun down, put the pills down, Put mm-hmm. you know, Let's keep going. Don't stop. You know, Marines don't quit. Rangers don't quit. You know, and so that's just the mentality of of a veteran. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. You've already embraced the suck. You've embraced the hardship. You know, you've suffered in silence and silently suffered already. Keep going. Um, I thought that was kind of a, a big. He goes
0: on in the next page and he says a whole lot of our lives are spent trying to avoid conflict. So in yeah. the drugs from the VA to mask your post traumatic stress symptoms or your sleep, whatever. All of those things are geared at making your life easier, Mm -hmm. helping you avoid that conflict. And he says, part of me wonders if our stories aren't being stolen by that easy life. You're being drugged into mediocrity Mm -hmm. instead of having to work through that pain, figure out what works, what can get you through it without just numbing yourself to the point where you're just kind of a dead person walking around. And
1: I mean, I don't know, for my own personal take, I agree with that. And it's just, it sucks. Pain sucks. I mean, it could be a simple little. a hey, would sub my toe all the way to, I don't know, my the person I thought I was going to be with for the rest of my life is completely gone and ripped away from my heart or something or something like that. But it's a part of you. It's the whole journey that will mold you and shape you to what you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks. It's a part of life. Um, I know it's sound cliche. It's cliche to say it, but kind of just embrace it. Uh, but I've, I've gone through my personal struggles and it's like if somebody told me to embrace it, shut up. Dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm going through. So, I mean, but it is connecting a lot of the dots to mold and shape you.
0: What'd you write in the bottom of your book there?
1: Um, (laughs) On the bottom of uh, 187, it says, I'll read the last three sentences. It says, the men had to work the field, even though neither father nor son had any experience in farming. And the girls spent what seemed like all day preparing food for three simple meals. But the interesting thing is that they bonded. Without all the trappings of modern life and without the gadgets we used to make life simple, they, the family came together. And with that was, I basically kind of said, like, that's a, that was a tribe. They're all pitching in to help each other out. Well, what happened working.
0: there is, that in that example, this family was very wealthy, had everything they could possibly want, but the mom and dad were fighting. The kids were making bad choices and... And so they decided we're going to throw all of that stuff away. I think it was actually a TV show. It was a reality show where they go to Montana for a year and they have to live in like a one-bedroom cabin yeah. and raise their own food and do do their own things. And during that time, the family gelled together and became a unit and cared for each other. And then when they went back to their rich existence in their big house, then the mom and dad started fighting again. The daughter talked about, <clears throat> he went and... uh they did a follow-up interview mm-hmm. with the daughter who's sitting in a hot tub in the backyard.
1: Overlooking the beach.
0: Yeah, and, and they ask her how things are going, and she has tears in her eyes saying, I wish we were back in Montana because life was better when we were only in a one-room one, one room house. So that easy stuff can, can completely screw everything else up. Yeah, and
1: I, 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 I mean, a lot of us, I don't want to sound too much of a hypocrite. I know I am to my own extent, but the stuff materialistic items, you know, having the best and brightest TV, having the best motorcycle, having the best bed that helps you sleep or something that moves and vibrates, does whatever heat and all that stuff. It's just that it's stuff. And a lot of, I think a lot of individuals can lose themselves and I need to get this to show other people this. Mm-hmm. And they might forget the values or the relationships that they have with their loved ones or their family or their friends, or maybe they have a negative relationship that still helps mold them. But they're like what the VA does with drugs. They can mask you. They can mask you. having all this stuff can mask your true feelings for, you know, whoever. And I think that's kind of what the relationship was within that family. They were, they were masked by all their, all their stuff that they had, all their the mansion and the beach and blah blah blah. blah. When they had almost nothing, their relationship was a lot stronger, a lot I don't know, a lot more apparent.
0: So he, he keeps talking about uh, this difficult journey and he's he's doing this bike ride across country and he gets across Joshua Tree, which is a gorgeous area, but I'm sure in the middle of the summertime, yeah. it's hot and miserable to be in. And uh, we'll go down to the bottom there of uh, of that page, 188, mm-hmm. where he says, this was maybe the most miserable point of my life, but in that place, I remembered about story. I'm going to read, read that last couple of, of uh, sentences here.
1: Um, I, rem- I remembered about story about how every conflict, no matter how hard, comes back to bless the pro- to back to bless the protagonist if he will face his fate with courage. There is no conflict man can endure that will not produce a blessing. And I smiled. I'm not saying I was happy, but for some reason I smiled. It hurts now, but I'll love this memory. I thought to myself, and I do. So
0: that's a beautiful part, isn't it?
1: Yeah, strong words.
0: All right, chapter 28. A tree in a story about a forest.
1: This one was, this, this chapter I meant earlier, that this one, man, I'll tell you what, this is too real for me. Um, I want to kind of skip ahead to the, after the first few paragraphs. Uh-huh. Uh, he, the paragraph starts off and says, So I met a girl. We fell in love. I knew in that knowing, beyond all knowing, that kids in high school talk about she was the one. Um, And I wrote in this part of the chapter I wrote, he found love because he created a story, or maybe this is just a byproduct of the story he was creating. Mm-hmm. Um, he, his old life, he wouldn't have been able to find love, find the one, if you will, um, if he was just sitting on his couch, kind of living a very minimalist and boring life, a mundane life. But he found love because he was creating his own story. So it kind of makes you think, you know, well, what else can I create? What else can I find? If I, but through life? all this,
0: that relationship fell apart, right? right? And, and why did it fall apart?
1: Uh, because they were they're were too strong to they you know they Oh, should... he
0: said he said he thinks that that they were in the mode where uh another human being can help can heal you mm-hmm. another human being can rescue you, mm-hmm. and he says that now he believes that's a lie that ends a lot of marriages because he's talking about um when uh when you you find somebody then and I run into this a lot with veterans, they start putting their identity in that person that they're dating. Mm -hmm. Like they got to have the prettiest girl or the handsomest guy or the fastest or the whatever Mm -hmm. because it kind of pumps up their ego. So it makes them, they feel like it makes them a better person because of this other person. And what he is saying is what you have to be is you have to be okay in your own skin you have to be okay with your own flaws you have to be okay with whatever it is that you do and that person has to be okay with whatever it is that they do right and you can't force them to change they can't force you to change but instead he says the the romantic modern lie is that the body the body creates a natural high to trick you into thinking another human being will rescue you and uh and that's just not the case so yeah so as they as that relationship fell apart then he goes to a very dark place, right? He goes into the, I mean, it's it's classic because he says, I'm numb. I don't feel anything. I don't want to do anything. I'm depressed. And even at one point, he even says, I felt so good being depressed that I didn't want to not be depressed because it felt Mm -hmm. good to just sit there in that funk. Mm -hmm. And I had this same conversation with a veteran the other day because personally, I, I don't suffer from depression, but I can on occasion go into that depression. Right. And when I do, and I get in that depression, I'm like, I don't want you to make me feel better. I don't right. want you to cheer me up. I don't want to see anything that's going to make me happy. I just want to sit here and just be a little nasty pot of black, and whatever. Salt. Right? Yeah. And for some reason, it it feels good to be in that mode. But if you force yourself to go get on your bike or go for a jog or force yourself to go do something that gets you out of that, then you start to feel better. Mm. It's amazing how that works. And then you realize you feel way better now that you went out and started went for a walk than you did when you were sitting there in that funk. Yeah, definitely. Um. He, um, what he said, I didn't shave, I didn't eat. As my story stopped, so did I. You can't go on without a story any longer than you can read a book about nothing. Um, but then he goes on to say, which is really interesting, and I'd never thought about this before, that he thinks God gives us this period of numbing like a kind of grace, because mm-hmm. as you go through a breakup or a death of someone, uh, or something that's really painful, he talks about um, breaking his leg, and how his the wrist. body's, those, his wrist, thinks, yeah. but the endorphins and the shock kind of it prevented him from feeling the pain that was this broken bone, and he's sitting there waiting for his friends to come around, and he can see the bones in the wrong spot in his arm, but it doesn't hurt. And, and he says he thinks that 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 is a, a natural way that God gives you so that you don't have to have the full brunt of all the crap all at once because then right. you might not be able to handle it. Yeah. But then he said when finally it did start to feel something, then all of a sudden it all comes down on him, right? Like in a big, in a big pile. Uh, This is on page 194 where he said he was numb for a period of time and then all of a sudden the shock wore off Mm -hmm. and uh, another thought came that said, I'm going to be alone the rest of my life because I'm unlovable, right? So now his mind is going negative. Yeah. I am unlovable. Um, He said the thought that I couldn't eat or drink would have been less devastating than being unlovable And, and he It's a really interesting line that he says the last part of that paragraph. Counselors from hell spoke to me under the pillows and behind the chairs until they had the big voice. So that's all of that. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. I'm a piece of crap. All of that stuff is building inside of his head, which I've talked to more than one veteran this, what's the 3rd of December this month already? I've talked to more than one veteran that is going through that exact thing. The voices in their head, the the counselors from hell I love that that analogy mm-hmm. because that's what it is it's turning yourself against you and then then he says before that I could not understand why a person would commit suicide and while I now have the perspective that only comes from the distance of being away from that pain I know the power a lie has to shrink time into what seems the eternal end of things right it's never gonna get better no one's ever gonna love me again I'm never gonna be happy I'm never going to be part of a team like I was with in the army. I'm never going to have a good job. I'm never... All of that negativity that builds up, that's what he says. That's the power of that lie that you're unworthy has to shrink time into what seems the eternal end of things. Yeah. And if if your pain is never going to go away, if it's always going to suck, then why live? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's saying. But so he, he somehow, he says, I don't know how, but somehow I got through it. And now when he looks back, he's like, I learned things through that. I learned things that make me a better person, but I wouldn't have learned those things if I hadn't gone through that pain." Right.
1: And I don't want, I'm not deterring away, but like, he says on, on uh, 195, in the middle of it, uh, towards the end of the first paragraph, he says, um, I didn't want to learn whatever it was he wanted to teach me. He meaning God. Hmm. I cried out to him in an angry petition for rescue. I doubted him and needed him at the same time. God seemed to me, in that moment, a cruel father burning a scar into my skin with his cigarette. And yet I knew he was the only one with the power to make the pain go away. I thought that was kind of heavy, because I just had this picture of, you know, uh, if you're really just not a deity, you just see a hand coming out of nowhere, and, you know, just burning a cigarette in your arm. And, like, as cra- crappy as that is, as much as it hurts, the person, the person causing the pain is the only one that can fix it, in a sense or or not maybe not purse make me maybe it's uh, an activity maybe it's a, an organization or company whatever but i just think it's ironic how it's like almost devil's advocate that that happens on
0: yeah i i personally don't care for the example of a cruel father burning a scar with a cigarette but but if you think about well you, you have a young daughter yeah. right so sometimes you have to do things that don't make her happy so she'll learn right right so hopefully that doesn't involve physical burning her with a cigarette <laughs> yeah. but it it might be not letting her have her halloween candy mm-hmm. because she misbehaved at school or but but now you have created pain that upsets her so that she will learn from that pain not to do it again and that's he's using a terrible example but but then you as the father can go to your daughter that is in pain because you took something away from her and you can remind her that she's loved, and you can help her learn from that, how not to right. make the same mistake again. So that's what I think what he's talking about.
1: Essentially, it's a hot stove effect. You know, like don't touch the hot stove. you touch it once. Hopefully, you learn that pain teaches you not to touch it it's again. Good example.
0: Um, then, then they talk about my favorite guy. After that, right?
1: Victor Frankel. Yeah.
0: Or Funkel. Frankel. Frankel. Yep.
1: Yeah. He. Um, wow, he's got a little. Uh, he's got his own little story with us, from cubby to here. Uh, so for those who don't know Viktor Frankl, and I don't know him a whole lot, probably not nearly to the extent of Carl, he basically was a um, POW in a German concentration camp during the Second World War. He was also a psychologist for and a neurologist. He was Jew. And he, yeah, he was Jewish, and so he would see the differences between people who he saw would make it past the concentration camp and people who wouldn't, because the differences between, that, between those two groups of people was hope or they would see, they would plan after it, well, after this is over, I'm gonna start a farm, or that's what a positive uh, mentality was. A negative one was, this is it, I can't believe I'm gonna die this way, I can't believe I'm not eating, and then a bunch of, eventually they might succumb to death. Um, but it shows that uh, in this part of the chapter, uh, Viktor Frankl would go around whispering in people's ears, you know, and he would whisper, that way the German troops wouldn't hear him promoting positive mental mm-hmm. images, if you will. And so he would whisper to people's ears, kind of like, let's, you know, you'll, you know, this is, you know, temporary. We'll keep going. We'll, you know, this will pass. You're gonna live life after this, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, in a sense, he did that to the author as well. You know, obviously not physically, but more of a maybe a spiritual kind of thing. Or
0: well, there's this amazing part in there where he says that um, Frankel's writings. Uh, they have a conclusion that misery means life has the potential of meaning, Mm -hmm. right? So, if life has the potential of meaning, then that pain must also have meaning. Mm -hmm. And life is a pursuit of meaning itself, and that search for meaning provides the basis for a person's motivation. So, the search, that goes straight into Boone Cutler's Spartan Pledge, Mm right? Right. The second half of that says my mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. It's exactly what he's saying here. That search for meaning provides the basis for a person's motivation. If you don't know what your meaning is, then your meaning is to search for your meaning. Right. So once you start searching for that meaning, starting to find that purpose, that gets you off your butt, that gets you out of that depression, that that gets you to start making a change. Pain, then, if one could have faith in something greater than himself, might be a path to experience an, a meaning beyond the false gratification of personal comfort. So that's that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. The, the other thing that goes to what we talk about with Burris' functional emotional fitness, he says a chance for survival is increased by a person's ability to dwell in a spiritual domain, a place the SS could not intrude. You know, go to kind of a ridiculous example Burris talks about in his material... Uh, about the external doesn't matter, it's the internal. It's how you process those things. And mm-hmm. he uses the example of uh, a man and a woman going shoe shopping. And the woman is all excited about going shoe shopping, and it's a great experience, and she's having a lot of fun. And the man is miserable mm-hmm. because he does not want to be in a shoe store, right, doing shoe shopping. And they're both in the same place. The shoes are the same. The clerks are the same. Every The whole external environment is the same one person's had a great time and the other one's miserable mm-hmm. so it's how you process that external stuff so the man in that in, in that experience has allowed that external to come into his spirit and and turn it the wrong way yeah. and make him miserable right so
1: um, I'm gonna skip forward a little mm-hmm. bit here
0: yeah we're almost done
1: um, so at the end of 197 just a page after we were reading mm-hmm. uh the last paragraph I'll read the whole thing cuz it's kind of short it says he's talking about the book of job from uh, in the bible and the paragraph says job responds even before his health and wealth are restored by saying all of this is too wonderful for me job found com- uh, found contentment and even joy outside the context of comfort health or stability he understood the story was not about him and he was cared more about the story and he cared more about the story than he did himself and so that kind of puts I don't know, that puts me in the mental state of, it's not about me, it's about the whole community. For me, the veteran community. The whole group, grand scheme of things. Am I What are my actions that I'm doing on social media, are they helping or are they hurting the veteran community? So I try to you know push a positive message out there as much as I can. And um, just kind of looking at the bigger picture thing. Stop looking at the today, today. Man, am I gonna, is something gonna happen today? Am I gonna, something today? Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't. Am I gonna get a job promotion today? But at the same time, I mean, quit looking at the smaller smaller picture. Quit thinking locally I and mean, you know, thinking globally.
0: Yeah, What's um, interesting is it, it, he's kind of built up through the book to start talking more about God and faith. Mm-hmm. right? So it's clear that he he believes in God, clear he's a Christian by the way that he writes. But then in this part, he basically says, uh, and he uses the example of Job to do it, because Job was a, a, a good, successful man and all these bad things. God made bad things happen to him. For why, right? So Job's trying to figure out, why are you doing this to me? And uh there are, what he says here is that God's basically saying, hey, there's there's things that are going to hurt you. You don't need to understand they're going to hurt you, but you're going to learn from them and you're going to grow. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you say that to your kids, to your daughter all the time, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm the dad. I don't care. You can't have that or you can't do that. I don't care if you want it. And and the child doesn't understand why that's going on. But it, it goes on and this was kind of a big thing to me because it almost contradicts what he was saying earlier about on the faith side. He says, God says to Job, basically, Job, I know what I'm doing, and this whole thing isn't about you. <laughs> and that's the the title of the story, A Tree and a Story About a Forest. When I first read that, I'm like, A tree and a story about a forest. What does that mean? I don't really understand that. And he goes on to say, I'm a tree in a forest of trees. And I may get cut down, but mm-hmm. the forest is gonna live mm-hmm. because it's not about me, it's about the forest. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the forest being better, stronger, healthier, whatever. And uh,
1: I love that. When you quit it, when you quit it, I know what I'm doing and this whole thing is about you. It's kind of like, shut up, dude, I got it. I know what I'm doing, just let me do what I need to do. And then you, you think your world is crumbling, you think it's falling apart, you think oh, I lost my love, I lost my job, I lost my house, I lost my kids, whatever. But it's like, don't, no, just keep going, keep going, keep going, don't stop, like we said it earlier. In the previous chapter, I believe, don't stop. you got to keep going. And I mean, and then maybe things will pay off. Maybe they won't. Who knows? But I mean, that's for the reader to, to read the book right. and, and tell. Right. Um,
0: no, I love this. So, um, uh, one last thing that I want to talk about is on 198. We talked earlier about sitting in that pile of misery and not want to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he, he says here, I didn't want to get well because if I got well nobody would come and save me anymore and I didn't want to get well because while I could not control my happiness I could control my misery. Right. Right? So that's pretty amazing to think that yeah I can't I can't control my happiness but I can control the misery that I'm in right now. I can make it worse. Dang. That that's pretty powerful and I would rather have had control than live in the tension of what if. So I'd rather have the control of being miserable. Than have the uncertainty of what might happen if I pick up the phone and call somebody or if I go try to engage with somebody in a different social setting. A chance of hope is no pacifier against a sure tragedy. Um, That's pretty deep stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, And then when I mentioned earlier, when Viktor Frankl uh, whispered in his ear, he basically said, he said, that Donald, the author, was a tree in a story about a forest, and that it was arrogant of him to believe any differently. He told Donald that story of the forest is better than the story of the tree. Like, you, 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 I don't know, from a dumb Pauly Shore movie in the '90s. And you might, forgive my horrible analogies, but you know, you're think the author is thinking locally, but. Frank Victor Frankel or God in a sense is thinking more globally. Kind of quit looking at the, just a small picture. Look, open your eyes. Look at the bigger things. Like how it's a machine. Like how well oiled and well refined it is. It's all working just how it's supposed to be working. Um,
0: so. Well, to me that says it's not about you. Don't be selfish. Mm-hmm. Help other people because when you help other people, that expands and mm-hmm. that makes that helps the whole forest out. Instead of it all being about your own particular tree, watering your own tree, grooming your own tree. Stop focusing inward and focus yeah. on the other trees that are around you to help them grow.
1: So I just I thought that was awesome. A small little paragraph.
0: All right, we've been going half an hour. Um, we try not to go that long, but this was pretty good. Yeah, that was it. So we're going next week. We're going to finish the book. Okay, Okay, all the way to the end, and uh, it starts off chapter 29. The reason God hasn't fixed you yet. This this is you haven't read all this part yet, have you? No, yeah, don't ruin it. <laughs> I I this the last couple of chapters in this book are hard to read because you get tears in your eyes. Okay. It is I can't say enough about how much I like the, the book Donald Miller, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Every veteran, every person should read it. And heavy mm-hmm.
1: uh, stuff.
0: Yeah. All right. So we will talk to you in a week. Yeah. If you haven't heard the other versions of this, uh, you can go to any podcast, look for Gallant Few. And uh, and you should be able to find uh, Carl and Zach's uh, book review. Yeah. Right?
1: But uh, until then, be brave, be bold, be gallant. Outstanding. Right.